If you're a cannabis business owner looking to expand into new markets and need guidance and support you can trust, consider Collateral Base, a group that has done it before in multiple merit-based and limited market states. Collateral Base was founded by an experienced cannabis attorney with highly educated consultants with master's degrees and years of experience in the cannabis industry. The Collateral Base team is confident they know cannabis licensing better than any of their peers. And I encourage you to see for yourself. It just takes one phone call. If you're ready to expand your cannabis business into new limited markets, contact Collateral Base today at 309-306-1095. That's 309-306-1095. Or visit collateralbase.com. Hey, music lovers. The Cannamom Show podcast, in collaboration with Lambkin Guitars, is giving away a custom-built, one-of-a-kind electric guitar built by Josh Lampkin. The solid one-piece hemp wood body includes a built-in glass bowl piece. Yeah, you heard me right. You can take a hit and then play a lick. Now's your chance to help the Cannamom Show crush cannabis stigma with your entry. Register for the Hemp Guitar Giveaway online at LampkinGuitars.com. That's L-A-M-K-I-N Guitars.com. The drawing will be part of a 420 celebration at the Goods Dispensary in Somerville, Massachusetts, where the guitar is on display for the month of April. But don't worry, you don't have to live in Mass or be present to win. Visit LampkinGuitars.com to scope out the Hemp Guitar giveaway details and entry form. You'll even find a video of what could be your guitar in action. L-A-M-K-I-N-Guitars.com Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to another episode of Everything is Personal. I think I gotta stop saying ladies and gentlemen because somebody flagged me for not being appropriate gender-wise, so I gotta figure out another intro to that, but it flows well, so I'll just go with that. Anyway, uh, weird introduction I know, but today we have a very special guest with us, and uh, somebody that whose name is uh, it warms my heart every single time I say it, and I'll explain why. But I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, introduce my guest, Miss Sasha Kalchev uh, Corn. Did I pronounce your name correctly? You sure did. <laughs> right. Great job. <laughs> uh, thank you. Uh, who's the executive director of uh, Realm of Caring, which we'll get into in a little bit. But the reason why the name my daughter's name is Sasha, so. I, every single time I say Sasha, I think of my daughter. So mm-hmm. uh, anyway, but we were just talking before we got on, uh, and I said let's let's wait till we have this conversation. So I'll test my Russian skills. So behind you, for those of you who, who can't see this, who are only uh, listening to uh, the podcast, uh, Sasha behind her has these two. What would you call them? Containers of uh, they look like. Uh- er- Urns, but they're not like yeah you know, they're uh they're they're apothecary jars but they're thank faux. you apothecary they're yeah they're wood <laughs> they're I, yeah I have I have a real one up there from uh, uh like a, a cannabis elixir from some uh, company that I, I got a, like some uh, some garage sale or something like oh, that cool. so it's it's like an actual jar I started it's very hard to collect but these say something in Russian on them which mm-hmm. I find really interesting. So that one says Iris, and I can't really tell what the other one says. Yeah. I uh, <laughs> can pull a little bit closer for you. Yeah, let me see, see if, if I, I can grab. read it. Nanufar. <sighs> Nanufar. I don't know what that means. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, there you go. Yeah, so <laughs> I, I, read, I read it. I have no idea what it means. I probably read it wrong, so don't worry about it. But also, you said behind you, behind those, is a certificate of something signed by Nixon, right? It is, yeah, which is, yeah, I always find it so funny. And it's I like having it in the background because of just being in the world of cannabis in this industry. So my grandparents were CIA. They were Russian. They were CIA during the Cold War. And so the apothecary jars are from the set of Dr. Shivago. When they were TDY, they ended up um, being staying in the same hotel as some of the set designers and so had some influence on 
creating some of the artifacts that were in the film. And so they were, um, I, I guess I should say MGM allowed them to purchase some of the products or some of the things that they helped to create uh, uh, after the filming was done. And so that's where the apothecary jars come from. And then um, when my grandfather had to move to Chile, he needed a a letter stating that he was there for official business, official government business, not CIA. And so he had that certificate signed by Nixon. <laughs> right. Yeah, and you're in the cannabis business. So it's just so ironic that yeah. it's like, you have a Nixon signed the document there and he's uh, the person why we are partially responsible for why we're in, in the mess with this cannabis industry uh, today. Um, yeah, so, it's yeah, a good it's, reminder for me. It's a good reminder why yeah, I'm here. Yeah, like writing it. the wrongs of our past. Thank you. Let's write the wrongs. So yep. before we get into that, w- did you grow up in Colorado? No, I grew up in the East Coast, I Virginia to New York City, and I moved to Colorado um, nine years ago. Nine years. Ago. So, were you were you born in uh, Virginia? I was. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And then you moved from Virginia. So, so your grandparents were in the CIA, and then your they saw how how did you end up in Virginia, or your parents end up in Virginia? Well, so my mother, her parents, being CIA, Langley is uh, the headquarters. And so that's where she lived. And then uh, my my dad's side, um, his his parents were from Bulgaria and they immigrated. And their um, family who sponsored them to move over also had land in Virginia. And so it just so happened that they met there. And uh, my I moved to New York City to follow my grandmother's footsteps, my mother's uh, my mom's mother, um, because she went to Hunter College and she uh, was raised there. And so that's how I ended up in New York. So I could go to her alma mater there. <laughs> got it. So yeah. uh, did you, do you have any brothers or sisters? I do. Yes. I have an older sister and a little brother. Got it. So you're the middle child. I am the middle child. Yes. The mediator. <laughs> yeah. I was just talking to my daughter about it. She's an only child. I only have one. But we were talking about her, her boyfriend and the the one, the one, the one brother is uh, is interesting. It's not like the other two. I'm like, yeah, middle child. I'm like, didn't you ever see Brady Bunch and all that stuff? You know, <laughs> always uh, plotting against uh, Marsha, Jan. But anyway, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I was like, I have to explain to her the middle child syndrome. So, but you don't have that, so you don't have to worry about it. Um, <laughs> so, um, and your parents. Uh, I'm trying to get a sense of like your household. Yeah, mm-hmm. Your parents were together. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And and uh, so good, happy childhood with lots of uh, interesting things going on, activities. Uh, yeah, I mean, I would family. say you know, I had we had a great neighborhood that I grew up in. I had a, some really close friends that I'm still friends with today, and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, so yeah, it was nice. And my brother, I say little brother, he's eight years younger than me, and he's you know. Um, I know, six five, so he's way taller than I am. <laughs> um, but yeah, so in, I mean, we stay pretty close, and they all still live on the East Coast. And I'm out here with my husband and our two kids and our two dogs, and we've just built a life here, and we just love it outside of the humidity. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I'm from the East Coast too, so I yeah, um, I'm from Philly, so I can I can uh, relate to that. But mm-hmm. uh, so when you were growing up, uh, did you? want to be like an educator? Was that something that was a passion of yours or what What were you into? Yeah, I was into, you know, it's funny because I think like all high school girls, I was into fashion at a point. And then once yeah. I was in my first year of college, I was think I took a, um, a, a class on just like social equity. And I was just thinking to myself, well, you know, fashion's not going to save the world, but maybe, you know, I can get a job that will like that is involved, is involved in education and Mm -hmm. some kind of social equity work. And so that's where I changed my trajectory. I went into political science. Um, I went into kind of some, the education world and, uh, yeah, that's where it all kind of switched over for me and just a passion for helping other people and making sure that people have access to quality information. It was just, um, yeah, something that started when I was, I guess, more so when I was 18 and then just flourished from there. <laughs> but when yeah. you were, were you, you worked as a teacher or no? I did. You ever, yes. You did, right? Mm-hmm. A, a math yeah. teacher? Was it math? I was a math teacher. Yes. Okay. So yeah, after, so I, 
I, it's my worst uh, subject, by the way. My daughter, <laughs> my daughter's terrific. I don't know where she gets it from, but I'm the worst. Probably my dad, because he was an engineer, but uh, math is the worst for me. Well, see, you know, it's it's one of those things that it's very, like, it's either right or wrong. And I think that makes it um, maybe easier to teach than maybe something that you're more passionate about. Like, if you're passionate about history, it's hard to get kids interested in that. But I loved teaching math. Um, and I did this after my master's, I had an opportunity to go into AmeriCorps. So I did that for a year and then I just loved the education world. And so I ended up teaching math. But one thing I just loved about that was when you have that sixth grade girl or eighth grade girl who says like, I'm so bad at math, I can't do it. And then by the end of the year, she, the look of surprise on her own face when she passes a test or when she does well, it, it's just so encouraging to see that, to see that you could have that influence in somebody and how they, how they look at something like math where, you know, typically girls are, are supposed to say things like, Oh, I'm bad at that. Or that's not for me, or it's not my thing, but then they find out they're actually really good at it. It's just empowering. Interesting. Yeah. I, uh, I remember if my, uh, my daughter never said she's, she likes math. She was like, I was like, you know, I don't even know where it comes from. And I remember I was helping her with math. I'm like, I actually remember this stuff. I th- always thought I was really bad at math, but I was helping her. I'm like, I got that. Up to the point that she got into calculus and all that stuff, I, I completely. See, you have uh, some of that engineering in you too. It just I passed guess. down. Yeah. It's ge- genetics. Yeah. Or epigenetics. Yeah. yeah. They say, you, I don't know if there was a gene for that, but they say that your your genome is supposed to renew and refresh every single time that new generation starts. You start from scratch, like the epigenetics don't get passed on. But then there was a study of Holocaust survivors whose kids actually had a similar epigenetic expression. So there has got to be something of an epigenetic uh, expression passed on from generation to generation. Uh, but wow, it's, it's fascinating. Yeah, you have this anxiety gene. That uh, that is passed on, or a couple of them, uh, so it makes sense why you know there would be some anxiety that's passed on from generation to generation. I think uh, absolutely, yeah. So I, I think I got the timeline wrong because I I you I wanted to ask you about human rights and really mm-hmm. what what that means to you. So when when you switched your your focus and your major, uh, your you then finished school and then you went to the AmeriCorps. Was it, a, did you go to Africa or something? So, so what happened was I finished my undergrad in New York and then I started working in just like more of the corporate world. I worked at MTV, got it, got it. then I worked at In Demand, uh, which is a Comcast um, contractor company. Um, but I, so I was stuck in that and I thought back to a course I took in my undergrad. Um, and in that course, I did a presentation on PEPFAR, the president's emergency plan for AIDS relief. Mm -hmm. And while I was sitting there, I read about how uh, just condoms weren't something that was accessible in in certain African countries. And I, Mm -hmm. so I always said, I'm going to go for myself. I'm going to find out and I'm going to see what the truth is. And so I decided to do this volunteer trip in Uganda. And I, I lived at a girl's school, um, for a short time, we did some HIV initiatives throughout the different uh, just rural towns. Um, we sold malaria nets and um, we worked on kind of like sex. Wait, ma- malaria what? Nets. So nets, nets. for the beds. Yeah. Yeah. To keep so, mosquitoes out. Thank you. I just wanted to clarify yeah. that because it's, <laughs> yeah. it's a very, it's a I, huge. No, it's a huge issue. Net. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. You, you're right. It's yeah. a huge, huge issue. And I, I'm is. glad you brought that up. Go ahead. Yes. So, uh, so I did that and I thought, you know, I'm supposed to be in education. I'm supposed to be doing something with nonprofit work. And so when I went back to New York, I hunted down the co-founder who lived in Rye. So a little bit upstate in New York. And, um, you know, he became a lifelong friend and mentor and I did still some work for the organization just on the state side. And then I wanted to go into human rights. And there's two universities at the time that offered it. And it was uh, Syracuse and University of Denver. And so since my now husband, who I was with at the time, um, got out of the military, moved to Colorado before I met him, uh, we both wanted to come back here. So I said, you know, I'll apply to DU, got in. And that's where then I was, that's where my human rights 
path started and then AmeriCorps came and then teaching. Got it. Now, <laughs> yeah. now, now I get the legit, but let me go back to Uganda for a second. Just yeah. to, I, the, my only reference in Africa, I've been in South Africa. So that's, yeah, me that's too. My, it's beautiful. <laughs> amazing. Beautiful. Yeah. So can you paint a picture of Uganda at that time? And I, and I know a little bit of the, about the history of the country, but when you were there, can you describe sort of what you were, what you were seeing and how like paint a picture? Oh, it was probably one of the biggest heartwarming experiences of my life. I remember on my last day, you know, riding on a, you know, bike, back of a bike <laughs> back to, you know, where I needed to stay before I was leaving the next day. And I was just crying because I was just so, so filled with gratitude for my experience. The most heartwarming people I've ever met, just the most kind and grateful um, and amazing food. And just, I just really loved being there. It was just beautiful. I mean, the perfect weather every single day. Um, just, I don't know. It's hard to explain it because it was so much of a feeling less of, you know, that when you're just immersed in it, immersed in well, it. I, I guess, I guess the country has gone through, you know, uh, violence and mm-hmm. uh, uh, dictatorship and, and the, yeah. a lot of different things that were going on in the country and the perseverance of the people is is fantastic but you know i haven't been there personally that's why i want to kind of get the essence of of that because when people go through different things you you either there's two ways to sort of uh uh, you know kind of respond to that Mm -hmm. you can be like oh the victim kind of oh it's it's awesome we're we're the victims of this this is the way it's going to continue or you sort of lift yourself up and say in spite of that these are the things that we're still going to be grateful. We're still going to uh, be giving and, and loving people. And you can kind of go both uh, either way. Yeah. So I was just kind of wanted to see uh, your experience there. Yeah, it was just a beautiful experience. And I would just say that, yeah, just you wouldn't know that they had been through so much and right. um, by just being immersed in, in their lives. Um, and I'm so, yeah, I'm so grateful to like the, um, the aunties who cooked, you know, for the school and for the people who ran the school and the, the teachers who let me sit in on classes just because I wanted to see what the kids were learning and what their environment was like and going out to the villages. And, um, we would on the HIV trips, we would also bring, uh, condoms and deprovovera shots. And so birth control shot, yeah. um, and then the pills as well. And so, that was really a great experience because you got to, you know, like typically from what I was told, like the old Ugandan man might want to have the more children, you know, maybe the more wealthy he appeared or, mm. um, you know, just the more full his life was. And when a man came and he said, I want to get birth control for my wife, it was one of those moments where it's like, wow, things are, things are changing. And, uh, and so that I, I remember that just being a really cool moment among the people who are who are working on that project. Yeah, it's super cool, and it's, yeah. uh, and thank you for painting that picture because I, I don't think people really in our world understand that. Yes, it's Africa; it's a humongous continent, mm-hmm. and every single country is completely different. And then within those countries, it's different. Like Cape Town and Johannesburg is like completely different too. So. Yeah. Um, we need to be open to understanding it's not just Africa. It's right. like Ghana and Nigeria and different countries. So um so what what what's human rights? What does that even mean? Like you when you did that as as your major and you got a master's, what does that even entail? Uh it entails a, a lot because you're understanding you know, what human rights do you resonate with is, I think that's a big part of it because where do I want my focus to be? And then, you know, so my focus is really quality of education, access, access to quality of education for all individuals. And so that's where I, that was like my niche, but it's also, there's environmental causes. Actually, it was while I was there that I decided I, I'm a vegetarian now because, (laughs) because of the environmental impact that um, just slaughterhouses have on, you know, emissions and whatnot. And so that's, I was influenced in so many different ways. And it's, it's very difficult because when you're in these courses, you think, 
you take these classes and you're, you're, you're thinking to yourself, okay, well, I can't wear cotton anymore or gold or shop at H&M or, you know, there's all these different things, but then you start to think of it in another perspective. And, and instead of how do I just boycott these things, how do I change these things? Um, and how do I change, you know, bring awareness to how people understand why gold can be an issue because of our indigenous cultures here and how land is taken from them for purposes of mining gold. Um, or, you know, thinking about <laughs> the children, laborers in Uzbekistan who are pulling cotton so that way, you know, H&M can create uh, clothes or have clothes. And so it's just kind of bringing awareness to that, finding specific projects to work on to help help those people in these situations rather than, you know, just saying, you know, I'm not going to do that anymore and then move on. So human, it's when you're in human rights, there's just so many layers to uncover. Um, And so it's just really finding like your little niche and where you want to focus on, on helping people. And that's really what it's about. Yeah. It's interesting. And there's so many rabbit holes you can go into it. And I have an education question, but you just brought up, you brought up something that's been a debate and I'm not taking, by the way, I, I haven't eaten meat in about 13 years. So I completely concur and, and agree with you on that. Uh, there's, there's always this debate on both sides. Like you were bringing up gold and, and mining and cotton and all that stuff. Well, by changing and taking that away, you're also taking away jobs and, and income for yes. those communities. So yeah, you can say, Hey, you know, and I'll use the beers because everybody understands and knows the history and all that stuff. You can't mine here, but the entire village is supported by this industry or villages. So the transition that from something that's yes, the man is going to make all the money and, and not giving us, but at least they're getting something. Yeah. And I remember when I was in India, uh, there was, there was a, so I'm I'm driving through, and you know we we were lucky and we were privileged to to live a certain lifestyle when when in India, but I see you know there were women carrying the bricks in their heads and there's people building bridges with pulleys and and ropes and and kids sitting breaking rocks with a you know with a hammer on on, on the ground and then there was a guy um, I, I went to visit the, this person who who was the CEO of this company in this building it was a two story building. And there was a person in the elevator and his job all day, he never left the elevator, was to push one and two. That's all he did. And we sit, sat there in a stool. And then uh, I, walk into, uh, I walk into the office and the guy uh, come with me and, and let me show you the, the house that I'm building on the beach. And he's got this model and it's beautiful home. And I'm like, they're, they're, I saw pulleys. He goes, eh, don't worry, I'm getting cranes and heavy machinery that are going to build. Out. I'm not building my pulleys. I'm like, but Lakshmi, what's what's the deal with the dude that's pushing the, the buttons? And he's like, we got a billion people. We have to put everybody to work. So we're paying this person a dollar or whatever it is, an equivalent. He gets to feed his family or or, or even yeah. himself for a dollar. So it's complicated. It is. You know, it j- is complicated. Yeah. And I, I, I agree totally with what you said because there are jobs at stake. And I do you remember where there was a big movement with several clothing companies and, you know, uh, women who lived in Bangladesh were speaking out because they they wanted the opportunity to work and leave their hometowns or home villages. And so it wasn't uh, like, don't boycott, just help us make our conditions safe and better and our pay more equitable. And so those are the things that, you know, we should thank you yeah that's exactly it, it that, that's what i was trying to you said yeah. it better than i did but that's exactly what well <laughs> man, that's exactly what i was trying to convey because uh, people are saying oh, stop interfering just mm-hmm. can you get to a point where we have some rights just allow us to have safety at work allow us to have better pay and just better working conditions but don't take it away from us because by you boycotting you doing this and that you're taking away our livelihood so yeah it's exactly what you said Education-wise, and I'll move on to other topics. I'm just curious because I, I wanted to ask somebody who has some some knowledge in this area. Um, so the education, even we get in the, in the United States or the Western world, comes from this system of education where you know we have these textbooks and we're start, uh, studying STEM and all that other stuff. Mm-hmm. And I was a huge fan of uh, Doctor um, or of Sir uh, Ken Robinson and the the reform of education. All this 
you know, ridiculous. I, I know my, my daughter went to Montessori, so I really enjoyed the whole environment, how they bring everybody together. They focus on your strengths and put people together. It doesn't matter, you know, if what grade they're in, how old they are. I found that such an enriching environment. So the education system has not been progressing. You know, I, we're going through this college. My, my daughter's graduating from high school this year. So we're doing the college thing. And the prices are astronomical. I mean, I paid, I went to Temple University. Uh, I think my tuition was like $9,000 a year. And uh, uh, now you're looking at, I mean, 80, ridiculous yeah, amounts of money. But what changed? In, in universities, yes, you get to pick your your classes. And maybe it's more interesting depending on university. But in terms of below, like the all the undergrad and high school and middle school, we're still teaching the same things. And, and there are a few high schools or a few schools that have opened up that are more inclusive. But I want to get your thoughts on that in, in terms of education, in terms of, you know, it's those human rights and quality. And mm-hmm. how can we, what are some of your thoughts? What can we do to change that for the next generations to come? It's, you know, it's so, it's so hard. And I, I think that's like for myself, that's one of the reasons why I had to leave education. It's just, it's frustrating, especially for a teacher, because you know, your impact on the child, but you don't know your, you don't feel like you can have an impact on the system. It's just so out of control and out of your hands. And, um, I, you know, we have, there's countries like Finland who they, they redid their whole entire education system. And I think that what they did so beautifully is make teaching a desirable position and, you know, make it like an honor to be a teacher and, you know, look at the way we assign homework and have tests and how it's, what the effects that can have on the kids. Um, and, and they were able to do it at a country level and where we, it's just not possible here because there's, you know, your federal and your state governments and your city. And then it's, so there's just so many layers of education and at, you know, in Colorado Springs here, we have several districts just in this school district, just in this one city where, you know, you're teaching in one and it is nothing like, it's not curriculum. It's nothing like the one that's right next, that's five miles down the road. Hmm. Um, and it just becomes, I think it's just, you know, it just becomes frustrating. I don't know the answer. And I, that's part of the, you know, why I went into education is I'm going to change this. And then I realized, okay, nope, I can't. Uh, and I don't know how it's a, it's it's very frustrating. I, I know. I just yeah. I, we we can talk about it on on part two uh, and get a deeper in. But it, it's very frustrating. I, I have uh, thoughts, ideas, but to implement those kind of things is is extremely uh, extremely difficult. Uh, and just the way the way that we create the curriculum is is really um, and and the emphasis on on tests and homework, as you said. Yeah, it never made any, any sense to me. Okay, so I would let also me, say the emphasis yeah. on nutrition. That part too, because like if for some schools you have thirty minutes to eat your lunch and then go out and play, and so what's that telling kids? Like eat your lunch as fast as you can, or don't eat it at all, so you can go out and play. So like the need for more increased movement during the day, like work, going outside and playing, having recess, even as a a middle school student, that's important, but then also focusing on nutrition, giving them more than 15 minutes to sit down and eat a meal says, says, Hey, we have, we care about what you're eating and how you're fueling your body. Well, if you, if you want to take a deeper dive into that. So I've been, because my daughter was taking some sort of health class uh, during COVID during zoom. So I get to listen to these classes. And I was like, is this a textbook from 1973? Uh, There is, I mean, the no nothing about nutrition the way like we know what what nutrition is today. The war on drugs didn't change. All that stuff, everything they go through is just the stuff that I went through in in high school. So there there haven't been many updates. And if you want to focus on nutrition, yes, it starts in the home, mm-hmm. but the schools also have to you know start teaching something beyond the pyramid and yes. how. Uh, milk does the body good, which it doesn't. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So you have these kids, you know, taking back Takis and milk. <laughs> You're like, yeah, oh. exactly. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Right. All right. So realm of caring. Mm-hmm. What, what is realm of caring? Oh, realm of caring is an organization that focuses on uh, cannabis research, education, advocacy, and community. 
H- how did you get to Ramakrishna? How did you become a part of this great organization? So yes, thank you. And so it all, you know, it's it's uh, you know a little bit cyclical because back in when I was in my master's program, I um, took a class called the International and Domestic Consequences of the Drug War. And that's so I got this great human rights perspective. And it was, you know, back in 2014. So things were really changing in Colorado at that time. Um, and so I got this great human rights perspective on um, just the war on drugs and the effect that it's had on people and just became really aware of the number of individuals sitting in prison while it was being this, you know, this industry was growing to the billions and to what it is today. And at the same time, I was um, working as an ABA therapist. So I was working with autistic kiddos um, in home. I was doing in-home therapy. Mm. And one of my kiddos was one of the families who had moved out to Colorado to access CBD for her uh, seizures. Um, So she had a form of, she wasn't autistic, but therapy helped her. She had a form of epilepsy uh, that was a result of a leukemia when she was a baby. and so. you know, in that whole, that's where I became part of this cannabis world or awakened to it, I should say. But then her mom was one of the volunteers because she was one of the original families um, who helped to build Realm of Caring. So this is back in 2014 again. And so there would be times where she would have to go and help and set up the office and I would be sitting and, and you know, doing therapy in the back seat of the car while she was doing that. So I had known Realm of, about Realm of Caring since the almost the beginning. And then I went into teaching. And when I decided I was going to leave teaching because I had my son and it didn't feel like a quality of life uh, for myself, from my relationship with him, um, I wanted to go back into nonprofit work and a job popped up as a care specialist at Realm of Caring. And it just felt very, you know, like cosmic in a way, like I have to do this. And so I, and I went for it. (laughs) Well, no, it's, 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 I think things don't happen by accident. I think mm-hmm. when, when you're open to receiving those, they just, uh, you know, come to you. Um, refresh my memory. If I, the, the Charlotte, uh, Figgy's moms, was she one of the people that started? Realm she of was. Yeah. So it was Paige Figgy and then Heather Jackson. Yes. That's right. That's yeah. right. Okay. So I remember, yeah, it's been, it's been years. Uh, yeah. Uh, because I, I have, uh, I have a relationship with a couple of the, the Stanley brothers, especially one. So I, I remember when that, you know, Charlotte's web, we're talking about Charlotte's uh, Charlotte from Charlotte web. Mm-hmm. Uh, when that then all started, I remember that whole thing and trying to find the formulations for those kids and, and the change when, when Sanjay, when Sanjay Gupta did the documentary, I mean, it was just like, my parents would call me, they were watching it. Like, yeah. Oh, maybe this cannabis stuff, I'm like, what do you mean? Didn't you call the cops on me and try to have me arrested? Now, now because Sanjay Gupta, uh, a TV doctor, said, oh, it's medicine. Now you're open to that. So that's the, the power of television. It sure uh, is, yeah. So you joined as like a care counselor and an, and an educator, uh, correct? Yeah. So, and, and then you from there, you, you, be, you started moving into different responsibilities within the organization? Yeah. So I went, uh, yeah, I was care specialist and the, at the time, the education director, she was on maternity leave. So I started taking over some of the education duties. Um, and then it was, she moved to the board instead of coming back to work full time with us. Um, so then I took over education and then I, and then I took over, uh, communications. And then in January of this year, I was then promoted to executive director, which I, I love because this just speaks to who Realm of Caring is and like our board and who's behind it. I was promoted when I was seven months pregnant. So they knew I was leaving and they still trusted me to come and step into this position um, and just, you know, what I was capable of. And so I think that just speaks to like the the heart of the organization, you know. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Yeah. And then uh, if I'm trying to remember, I wrote it down somewhere, but now I can't find my notes. Uh, the quality quality of life matters is the slogan or motto, right? Am I? Yeah. So, what does that mean, and how is that measured within realm of caring? Quality of life. You know, it's because Heather has said this before. Um, 
it's not about the plant. It never was about the plant. It's about the people. It's about helping the people find quality of life. And so that's how Realm of Caring just started. It was, you know, because Heather and Paige, both their children were in hospice when they met and they were out of, out of options, out of medical options. And so for their children, and so it was, it was the plant that brought their children a quality of life finally that allowed them to say things like, I finally got to meet my child again or for the first time. And so, and that's what it's about. And so after that, it was other people just seeking, I want a better quality of life, whether or not, you know, they're, um, elderly and, you know, want a better end of life for their quality and, or their child, or, you know, it's, it's interesting because I think when you see it in a child, uh, it just hits a little bit differently because we, you know, we might know stories of, you know, people, adults in our life who use cannabis for, for, you know, finding a quality of life or for alleviating symptoms. But when you see it in a child and you just see like the innocence come back into their body and that just the the sweetness and just them play, you know, it's just, I think it tells a different story and it really speaks to quality of life. You want your child, you know, you're, you're a dad, I'm a mom. We want our children to, to be happy and just like have the best life ever. And so that's, I think really what it speaks to is um, because that's where it all started. I couldn't agree more. And I, I, the, the, that mission statement, that's a mission statement, right? I, I, I don't know. It's like it's a, a motto or slogan. Like the tagline. Tag yeah. <laughs> yeah. What, what, what that resonates so much with me because that it's exactly what, you know, we've been, we've been doing it. I've been talking about for years and you said it exactly right. It's not about the, the plan is just a vehicle to get you to the quality of life. And, and, Every single time that you see this in children, that's why that's why some of these ads with you know uh, Joey and and Charlotte and yeah. all these all these kids that, that we know they're effective because everybody you can say oh you know uh, as you said end of life or or you know somebody somebody who's already in hospice or somebody that's trying to get better from the side effects of chemo, but when you see it in a in a child. And you see it firsthand within a minute, yeah. Like helping, I mean that gets people like even my parents that would be like, okay, this is something of interest. So, what does realm of caring like actually do? They're, you're you're a nonprofit, so maybe you can talk about like what do you what do you actually do? For so, the so um, if I can just like talk about like the origin a little bit and how it all unfolded. Okay. You can talk about anything you want. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So, (laughs) so, um, once Heather and Paige, once they found that success, um, you know, with cannabinoid therapy for their children, that's like word got around and families started inquiring about like either on Facebook or just, you know, what did you do? And so they had helped to originally move families out out here, out to Colorado for access. And it was for CBD access at the time. Um, this is before the farm bill. And this was mostly among epilep- the epileptic community. And so for seizures. Um, and so they decided once they decided to formalize the organization, they opened up a phone line. So that way a free call center, a free hotline where people could call from anywhere in the world and just get advice on cannabinoid therapy. Uh, because the more we started to talk to people, the more we understand dosing and product selection and finding quality products. And so we started to help people on the phone find the same or navigate this very overwhelming. At the time, it was um, kind of like an undiscovered world. But now I feel like it's more of an overwhelming world because there's so much misinformation and information out there. Mm-hmm. And so with that, they were taking this anecdotal data and they thought, let's make this formal and let's partner with the best Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. And let's open an actual observational research registry. And so now today we have one of the largest cannabis observational research registries in the world with Johns Hopkins still. Um, and we collect that information and we, um, we publish the data on it. So we just published our fourth paper on that, actually, yeah. on that data that we've gathered. And then... Uh, what, what, was the, what was the paper on? The last paper was a quality... It was neurological disorders, but it was also a qualitative paper, which is, was wonderful because it took like the insights, the details that people were reporting on their experience and how, you know, the challenges, but also the benefits. 
So how is it when you're quantifying that data and you're, you're analyzing it, how is that done? Is that done through like a cluster analysis, machine learning, and like, or is it just human beings that going through your, your transcripts of what you have and, and adding yeah. things up kind of it's thing? A, it's like a little bit of both, but it's a lot of manual work when it comes to qualitative data and like pulling out those really, you know, great quotes, but then also just seeing like the similarities and how people report that one of the challenges is lack of education. And so it's great for us because it lets us know we're in the right place and we're doing, we're, we're doing the job that we're supposed to be doing. Well, we can't um, wait to help you with all that. Yes, <laughs> Make your life easier. Right? <laughs> yeah. it's, well, well, we're we're yeah. almost there. We're almost there. Almost uh, there. <laughs> yes. I, I, yeah. I, I, it's it's now it's on record. I promise it's almost there. I'm telling you, we've I'm gonna uh, write that down, Len. <laughs> it's it, well, it's recorded for the whole world to listen to. So this is already it's it's there. Uh, yes. So you you've also worked with the. By the way, data. I'm not sure if you finished what you were saying. Oh, I was just going to say with the research also, that just helps us to legitimize the therapy. So it helps with the advocacy portion and it helps us with policy change from state to state. And then just advocating things for like, like our most recent study that we have that will start in the top of next year is a women's veteran study. So what we hope to do is be able to change policy within the VA, allow cannabis to be an approved medication for these individuals who are suffering. um, Yeah. post-war or, you know. That was my next question about veterans uh, as well. Yeah. And and I'm still going to ask that, but, uh, well, I'll ask. So veterans, what the work that you're doing with veterans, and I I know we have uh, a mutual partner uh, as well. uh, You know, we decode and uh, Teresa Jackson, what she's doing. So I, I, we are, we are very, very vested in helping the veteran community, Mm -hmm. but I had an experience. So I was invited to speak in, in a panel at UCLA, and uh, there was uh, I don't there was a, a doctor, a researcher. I don't remember who it was, and the person from the VA. And we, you know, I'm pro cannabis, mm-hmm. and uh, then there was somebody who was neutral, and I, I don't know. But the person from the VA was anti cannabis, like every single stereotype that you can possibly say about. Can- they were going with the you know your brain on drugs and uh, yeah. all, all that stuff. And I was just like, not only do we have board members who are veterans, I mean, we've worked with hundreds, I would say hundreds, maybe more of veterans over the years. And we know it works and we know it helps. And we know that at the very least, you know, the the side effects of prescription medication, I'm not not saying that prescription medication don't work, but I was watching a commercial recently for uh, a medication for upset stomach, something or another ass. I don't remember what it was. And then they quickly do the side effect. I never watched commercials, but I was, I was somewhere in a hotel and they only had like regular TV. And I forgot all about that. And I was like, wait a second, like uh, suicidal thoughts. And you get, wait, wait. So you'll take care of my acid reflux or whatever it was, but I may die from this. So let me weigh this, the side effects of, you know, consuming cannabis or nowhere even close uh, to that. So anyway, so she's going through all that stuff. And I'm like, okay, all right, fine. I'm, I'm used to that. I'll, I'll just keep giving facts, keep giving facts. So we get done the panel and uh, get a tap. And everybody's talking to get a tap on my shoulder. And this woman, and she's changed completely. She became nice. Her demeanor, she's like, hey, I, I love what you're doing. I find it really fascinating. I want to learn more about cannabis. I'm like, well, what was that all about? And she's like, she's like, we have to take the official position is this. And I'm like, well, we got to change the official position because exactly. the one of my biggest pet peeves is there's not enough research. Well, duh. I mean, we have a ton of research. I mean, there's over 30,000 publications here and there. The work that you guys are doing, uh, Realm of Caring, uh, the observational research that we're doing, and, and just anecdotal, you can see it with yeah. your eyes. Yes, we don't have clinical research for many reasons because the government didn't want you to actually have, you know, clinical trials on humans uh, unless you're using, you know, that, that cannabis misipulate. And Dr. Sue Sisley uh, had lots of challenges with that. But anyway, the point being is what you're doing, hopefully they can take some of this data that you're publishing and start moving the needle, uh, especially with the VA, because these are these are 
people who actually need a tremendous amount of our, our support and help. Yeah, absolutely. And it, you know, it's been reported in universities that there, there is a gap. There's a known gap between scientific knowledge or scientific, you know, data and then policy change. And so we're here to close that gap because we know that it's, we, it translates. Once you have that research, it can translate to policy and it just helps to change that mindset of people and, and reduce that stigma because while we are getting, helping to get people out of, you know, prison with different groups um, and, you know, different pardons and things that are going on, we also need to make sure that this is a safe, this is a safe space for people once they're released. And so that has to do with changing mindset. And so if we can just keep on pushing research and, and pushing that, showing the benefits um, and how they outweigh the risks, um, I think that's, that's all we can do right now. (laughs) That's our our superpower. No, you're, you're absolutely right. (laughs) But Speaking of superpowers, mm-hmm. I have this vision in my in my head, and I want you to sort of paint this picture and clarify for uh, you were on a special THC task force uh, in Colorado. Did you have to wear like a uniform and a badge, or, or do I have that wrong about the the task force? Of T- I, I found when I read that, I was like, they actually had a THC task force. What does that even mean? <laughs> yeah, so we have a so it's a, an intoxicating hemp task force, and so uh, that's with the Senate right now. No uniform, no badge. It's not that fancy, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it is to help to you know be part of a team of individuals from the industry and the states to help write recommendation for some legislative changes. So deciding how Colorado is going to approach um, hemp products that contain THC. Uh, or those, you know, synthetically derived cannabinoid products like Delta 8 THC. So there's that task force. And then there's a, there's also the um, city council task force. So that's just the, it's called the medical marijuana work group of Colorado Springs. Um, right. We're still a little bit far behind, you know, the terminology is not all the way there and we're still not recreational here. It's on the ballot this year. So we'll see, but um, yeah, so there's a couple, not so fancy, <laughs> no, no badge, but. <laughs> uh, I was, I was envisioning a cape task force <laughs> and like walking around the streets, uh, like vigilante style. You don't have that as a, as a police. Uh, like <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so how, how do you think pharma is going to be, they are involved in the cannabis industry uh, uh, to yeah. a certain extent. Now, how do you think this is going to, evolve in the future because the research you're doing is Johns Hopkins. And, you know, obviously there's big pharma that's part of Johns Hopkins involved. Is there, are they looking at the research that that you're doing? And by the way, just your opinion, it's a two-part question. Uh, Are they looking at the research that you're doing saying, yeah, but this isn't really, that's not how you do a clinical trial. It doesn't really mean anything. Or are they saying, we're going to take this and maybe start building on that to start creating some real, uh, quote unquote, real clinical uh, research. Yeah. In, in vitro and vivo. And that, because that's how it goes. It's the observational data informs the clinical. So, so that's another part of the purpose is so that we can inform those trials. And it's, it's difficult because it's an illegal, you know, I mean, unless you were talking just CBD, it's federally illegal THC. So, um, so that's where there is also problems when it comes to clinical trials, but that's what we're hoping And observational data. I, I like, because it, it gives us more information. It gives that, us that qualitative information that you don't get from a clinical study. Um, but yeah, hopefully we're just, you know, working on that path to inform and then, yeah, yeah with that. And then also, you know, maybe it's not a pharma thing, but also in, uh, influencing insurance companies like this will have to be paid for by insurance one day because it's just people can't afford it. And, and, you know, when you're faced with a family who has a decision of the free pharmaceutical or paying hundreds of dollars for a cannabis product, you know, they're going to have to go which, which whichever way, you know. I 100% agreed. Yeah. Yeah, And observational definitely informs clinical. The the challenge with clinical uh, that I perceive, you know, big pharma is having is because there's so many components in the cannabis plant. Yeah. It just, and I've had conversations with uh, people that are in in that industry and they have a hard time wrapping their minds around, well, what do you mean? Can we take one or two of these molecules, connect them to an outcome of a disease or condition, and then create? I'm like, you can, 
However, we've seen a mass specs. There's things in this formulation that we don't even, we're not even sure what they are, but without them, we have less efficacy. So I'm not sure if you can do that with this complexity of this plant. And I, I don't know, you know, isomers in the, in the isolated molecules. Right. Yes, I'm sure. And you know, that's where, you know, Jazz Pharmaceutical came up with Epidiolex and even the work they did with Sativax. But I'm not sure if there's another path. And, and CBD technically is still Schedule 1. Technically, on you know, the hemp bill does allow us to do that. But I'm not sure on the research side if they're taking, you know, is it cannabidiol? Is it not on Schedule 1 because I'm using it under the hemp bill? I'm not sure if you can do research on that. I have no idea. I'm going to speak to a somebody that's more educated on that, but it doesn't make any sense because if it's still a schedule one and it's part of the cannabis plant, then do I have to go get a DA license to conduct an actual clinical trial using, you know, CBD from the cannabis plant? No idea. Right. Right. Yeah. Because you're right. It is hemp that was removed from the definition. And, right. but yeah, so it kind of leaves CBD in this awkward, you know, is it, should it be a dietary supplement? Probably. So that way people can access it. And, you know, so that's kind of, you know, the also the direction that we're headed with on the federal level. Um, it's trying to get so that way people don't have their access taken away from them because that is a risk. They're finding something that brought them a quality of life that yeah. maybe brought them back to life or changed their life. And it's at risk every day of being taken away from them. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, and the dietary supplement, there's all, by the way, there's already a path in the FDA. I think they're called medical food products mm -hmm. that basically are these supplements that go through an FDA uh, approval. So a rescheduling of cannabis will allow us to have that as a supplement and already have, a, you know, it used to be, I think it used to be prescribed by a physician, but I think you can get them over the counter now, medical food products that have efficacy studies, observational, whatever, uh, for those specific conditions. So we have a path. Let's just, you know. Right. Uh, <laughs> President Biden, please do something and not just say, uh, you know, we're going to release prisoners that are not in prison for what you said you're going to release them for. But all right, well, that's, that's right. A whole yeah, other. it's a step in the direction. <laughs> yes, we fine. want more. But yeah, <laughs> there's a long way to go. So, so tell me about your yoga practice. I'm <laughs> curious about that. You are, how long you have you been practicing? What type of yoga? Or, or, or you don't do that anymore? So, I mean, I wish I had more time. It's just with the the seven month old and the four year old, it just uh, doesn't. I don't get a, enough time to practice like I should. But you remind me that I should be doing this more often. <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah, I should be practicing yoga. Um, but I just wanted it was something I wanted to do for myself when I uh, turned thirty years ago. Now it feels like years ago. I wanted to get myself a present and I wanted it to be a challenge. And so I wanted to do my um, yoga teacher training. And so I did. And I, uh, it was great. It was very challenging. It was exactly what I, I wanted for myself. And so that way I could just practice at home instead of going. Of course, I still go to classes, especially, you know, hot yoga. It's always nice to um, just sit in a sauna for, for an hour. Um, so I, I want to give you thoughts on because so I practiced yoga for 10 years several several times a week for until covid hit and what happened was i started doing it at home and when i started doing it at home i lost all motivation it was not like i lost all that energy from the from the teacher from all the other people so and now i'm starting to like my gym just you know they got their yoga classes back so i'm going to start going again but yeah, I, I couldn't really get myself motivated to do it on my own. And I know a lot of people are like, oh man, I turn on YouTube or my whatever my class. I, I know a couple of people that own yoga studios and like through COVID, we're just doing it remotely through Zoom. Mm -hmm. I tried it once or twice. It wasn't the same feeling. It definitely isn't. And also when you don't have that energy, right? Because you're sitting in the energy of your home where you're working and where your family's all around hustle, you know, going around. Yeah. Uh, it's just hard to get in that, switch that mindset over. So I totally understand that. I right. relate. We're, we're, we're going we're gonna to make a pact. We're going to start doing yoga. Okay, again. let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. All right. So uh, what are some of the biggest obstacles that you have to deal with around of caring? 
You know, I think I was really thinking about this today, um, just the obstacles, because it's like whenever you feel like you made a step forward, there is just another wall in front of you. And you think about the injustices and you think about the, the patients who don't have access or who have been priced out of their cannabis because of legislative changes that are regressive in policy. And it's just, uh, I would say there's a lot of obstacles and, um, you know, I, Heather says, you know, walls are put up. So we have a place to rest (laughs) along Mm -hmm. the way they give it, you know, give us a place to rest. But, and, you know, I, and I love that because it's a great way to think of it because there's so many walls that you get up against in this, in this industry and, you know, um, and so it's, I, I think we all at Realm of Caring, uh, all of us that work for the organization are just in the mindset that the patient comes first at all costs. And, uh, and so we're just fighting for them every day because they're tired of fighting. They've done their turns fighting. They helped to pass, make things legal and, you know, pass the farm bill. And so, you know, we're taking that off their hands and we're making sure that they have access. Um, and also just, you know, trying to fix the other injustices and the veterans who don't have access or who are at risk of losing their social security or benefits because of, um, because of cannabis use and, and, uh, the people who are sitting in prison and there's just so many different obstacles out there. And so it's just doing what we can, helping people one-on-one a little bit at a time, letting them know that there's Mm. more hope out there, that there is another option for you and we're going to help you find it. Yeah. I love that. I hope that we can get the rest of the country, at least the states, yeah. you know, get get them to a point where, you know, everybody has access to some sort of cannabis, whether it's medical or or adult use. And, the, you know, we're, we're trying to fight that fight as well. Um, your kids, what, what kind of conversation w- would you have with the, your kids when it comes to cannabis and, and drugs in general? I know you haven't had to have yeah. it yet. <laughs> I don't know. It's a, it's a hard one because, you know, in, in our household, how it should be, it is seen as medicine. You know, it's for, if my husband and I have any product, it is, you know, put away in, in what would be a medicine cabinet that is not accessible by children. And so I, I think it's just about having that discussion, that discussion about, you know, what it is and what's what it's for and just let it be kind of normalized you know if if tylenol can be normalized in the medicine cabinet why can't you know some product you know cannabis product as well so um do you have to be a certain age to consume tylenol versus cannabis i'm just curious well I mean, I guess no, because tylenol starts at infancy but so does cannabis because we help we've helped people on the phones with with infant children who have, you know, certain conditions and we've helped them with navigating pediatric dosing. So uh, thank you for saying that, that I, I was, I was hopeful that you would answer that way because I've get, I get so much pushback and I, I've mm-hmm. had conversations with kids uh, from, you know, various ages and speaking in, in schools. I actually had a sheriff in uh, Los Angeles. They asked me to speak to kids not thinking that I would be positive on, uh, on cannabis. But uh, I was, but they're like, oh, well, your brain doesn't develop until you're 25. So, you know, or now it's legal at 21, you shouldn't consume. But I'm like, but if that's your medicine, it's your medicine. Yeah. What's it that we don't know what certain effects of even, even, you know, acetaminophen would be on, on a child, but you're alleviating the symptoms. And there are, there are no studies that have shown those lingering effects. Yeah. There's some gray matter. Uh, you know, maybe, uh, anyway, there's no real research on these, you know, adverse effects on, yeah, yeah, long-term adverse effects on kids. So I'm really glad, uh, that you said that, um, do you have any personal goals that you set for yourself, uh, that you would uh, like to achieve, uh, in the next uh, several years? Uh, professionally or doesn't matter professionally personal i don't know climb a mountain i don't know you know i would say right now as far as my goals i'm just kind of in this season of life where it's a hundred percent of my energy is going to realm of caring but a hundred percent is also going to my family and so my goals are around just providing my family helping them to have you know happy healthy full lives and 
and growing themselves, but then also just continuing to grow realm of caring into what I know that it's, it's capable of. And it's just, you know, there's no bounds for how many people that we can help. <laughs> love it. Love it. All right. So now I have a few questions I ask all my guests uh, okay. and I, I usually like make a joke. It's really difficult, difficult questions. Get ready, but it's, it's not because you know, you're your next math teacher. So it'll be, it'll be easy for you. There's <laughs> nothing to do with math. I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right. So please describe your first experience with cannabis. Um, you know, I actually, I thought about this today because someone else asked me and I, I would say I, I Oh, well, that was actually like legal purchase versus, okay. So my first experience with cannabis, um, oh boy, uh, had to have been in high school and, um, okay. Yes. So it was in my senior year of high school and, uh, I, 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 it's always a boy, right? I started dating this, this guy who actually ended up going to, jail for selling, um, cannabis at the time. But when he took me to a friend's house because he was going to buy something and this friend took out three trash bags <laughs> full of, uh, you know, I don't just flower, just, but you know, he just took out yeah. three trash bags. And so that was really my first experience of like, Oh my gosh, this is a lot. Um, but so, <laughs> and did you consume it? I did. Yes. Just, okay. just a little bit. And, um, you know, and what was your, and what was your experience? Um, was it, was it good? Was it euphoric? Was it, it was laughing? good. Yeah. It was good because I think I'm, I was conservative and, you know, I just, I guess that's just my personality to, you know, not dive in too deep at first. And so I felt like I have, uh, almost always had good experiences, um, just by taking it easy. <laughs> that's, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So I'm, I'm a big music, uh, person. Um, so I wanted to, do you remember the very first concert that you went to? Yes. I went to see No Doubt in the Tragic Kingdom tour. All right. Remember that? Mm-hmm. And Weezer opened for them. <laughs> very cool. Yeah. Well, do you remember? Well, I know you have uh, you know, small kids, but uh, do you remember the last concert that you attended? Um, oh, my gosh. I don't, actually. I feel like it's been way too long. <laughs> and right? I, I, I... You know, it might have been uh, Ziggy Marley in Denver, and this was years ago. So I don't know if that was it or or not, because I'm thinking to myself, it can't possibly have been that long ago that I went to a concert, but maybe it was. Ziggy works. Yeah. Um, Is there anything that you're listening to of interest that you would uh, recommend? Like what's... Uh, what's on your uh, playlist? (laughs) (laughs) That's always a good one. You know, I kind of let Spotify decide for me sometimes. I just kind of like click on like the, the daily mix. I, I've recently, I have gone back into, you know, I'm a millennial. So I've gone back into like the early two thousands, like the, the best rock songs or rock pop songs of the early 2000s. I guess it's just feeling a little bit nostalgic. I think fall in the fall time, I always get a little bit nostalgic for some reason of just... Is that Creed? Is that Creed? Oh God, no. Hopefully not. <laughs> <laughs> Creed did open Sorry. for a, a, um, when I, I saw a Yankee, not a Yankees game, um, uh, a Mets game in New York once and Creed, Creed did their like national anthem and it was the most bizarre thing I've ever... <laughs> I've ever encountered. <laughs> so, what, what, so what would be that two uh, thousands like? Uh, so, rock like uh, Good Charlotte, okay, uh, Simple okay. Plan, like those kinds of yeah. Yeah, I was just watching. I'm a I'm a big fan of Ink Master, uh-huh. which is a tattoo show, and Joel Madden yeah. is the the host now. Oh, uh, cool! Of Good Charlotte. He took yeah. over for Dave, Dave Navarro. So, anyway, uh, if I'm I'm into tattoos, if yeah. You can tell. <laughs> uh, so. Uh, what has cannabis meant in your life? Uh, cannabis has meant, you know, cannabis has given me a real passion and purpose. And it's given me a real direction of individuals who I can advocate for. And I just think back to, you know, my client who was a cannabis user for her seizures and 
if it wasn't for her, I wouldn't be in this position today. I wouldn't feel this fulfilled in my, in my career and my goals and aspirations as far as my career goes. Um, and so it's, it's meant a lot for me, um, on many different levels. And I, I'm just, I'm hopefully I can be here long enough to see it through to where, you know, we're at a place where, you know, people have access to their medicine. I think it will be, we will definitely see it through. Yeah. Uh, all right. Last question. Okay. Please describe what your room looked like growing up. Uh, growing up, I shared a room with my sister <laughs> mm. and um, she was able to, because she's the older one, she got to pick out the colors and it was purple and black. And I love black still to this day, but I just can't stand purple. So. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I was your quintessential girl that had like the teen bot posters on the wall and uh so, so who who what were the posters do you remember some uh it's probably like dawson's creek saved by the okay. bell maybe i'm not sure of my my timeline is so uh, off yes. yeah like screech. yeah screech <laughs> dustin diamond yeah, yeah, yeah right no it was uh um and it was you know pretty i would say i kept my room pretty clean lots of clothes so yeah lots of, sure. lots of places yeah, for clothes mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, Sasha, what can people find out more about Realm of Caring, contact you or whoever is doing yeah. social, all that stuff? Yeah. So all know. of our handles are at Realm of Caring. Uh, realmofcaring.org is our website. You can contact us. You can click right on the front page to uh, email or call us, our info at realmofcaring.org if you want to reach our care team. Um, and yeah, we're here for anybody who has any questions on their cannabis journey. Cool. Well, I'm looking forward to making an official announcement that Endocana Health and Realm of Caring are partners, and that will happen on record uh, in the next 30 to 45 days at the most. Okay. So I'm putting it on record now. All so right. we're all on the same page, all not right. just between you and I. It's it's out there. It's the out there. Either. October yeah. 27th. Is that the day we have? All right. <laughs> oh, yeah. October 27th. Yes, it's <laughs> yeah. on record. So okay. I'm really looking forward to it. I'm so grateful for you joining us and the uh, know sharing uh, what the wonderful work that you guys do so i really appreciate it thank you so much thanks so much len it's been a pleasure <laughs> you got it all right thanks for listening to today's show to check out more great cannabis podcasts go to podconnects.com here's a preview of one of our other shows hey everyone it's ryan from the cannabis connoisseur podcast If you're looking for ways to utilize cannabis to keep you healthy, strong, and sharp, come join us every Wednesday where we dive into the best ways to use cannabis to optimize your life. Topics include cannabis and athletics, cannabis for productivity, cannabis for anxiety, cannabis for a healthy immune system, and so much more. If you're a curious connoisseur, this show is for you. So please head over to our page and we're looking forward to seeing you this week. Bye.